All right, everybody. All right. Disco all right. sucks. We all know this to be fact. Uh, it's actually kind of cool. I like well, disco. It, Dave just said it's a fact. So since Dave has declared it a fact, we can rest assured that disco is the most incredible music ever recorded by man. <laughs> and as you can hear by this track, Rise by Herb Alpert, disco looked forward to the 1990s as if to say, I wonder what Puffy Daddy is going to have to sample in 20 years. And, and well, the and, disco, and, it wasn't. The more disco I listen to, the more I like it, especially this. So I don't think you're making your point very well, well Dave. I wasn't, it, so, was a, it was a phrase. The show's from, over, you as know far what? as I'm concerned. You know what? How about this point? You guys suck. You know, if there's one thing that uh, rock dudes hate, it's uh, dancing and music that you're supposed to dance to. Well, you fuck, you could just blow it all out your dicks. Despite the fact that disco sucks, from 1977 to 1980, this form of music dominated the dance clubs, the radio waves, and music charts. And during this very brief window, several artists that had nothing to do with disco decided to dabble. They experimented with incorporating the disco sound into their own songwriting. They added four-on-the-floor beats, spacey synth sounds, strings, and funky bass riffs in attempt to stay relevant, or possibly just to uh, keep up with the times. I guess that's the same thing. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it did not. Today we're going to dive into the deep end of the tacky, flashy, syphilitic pool. Welcome, dear listeners, as we count down the top songs by artists that decided to dip a toe in the disco waters. Welcome to Disco Dips. Beyond Yacht Rock. Welcome to the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. An internet podcast creating new musical genres every week and counting down the top ten songs in that genre. My name is J.D. Riznar. Hollywood Steve. I'm Dave. J.D., you sounded great. Feeling good. Hunter. Hey, and because we, hey. we created the term Yacht Rock, and we know you guys know that, and that you love Yacht Rock so much that we throw a bone to that genre every week. Hunter, what are we listening to right now? Well, so apparently today's show is about how disco sucks. That's not what the show... All- uh, it isn't the case at all. You know, I know, all this show's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I don't know why Dave is making that argument. And, God damn it. And, and turning it into a Halloween show. It doesn't make any sense. Anyways, uh, nevertheless, I figured I'd drop a little Yatsko on us to prove Dave wrong again. Uh, Somebody so has this, to. This is it Ms. can't be me all the time. This is Ms. Patty Austin with Every Home Should Have One from her great album of the same name. Uh, you can hear that disco backbeat mixed with a nice little bounce and shuffle. It's it's smooth as fuck, too. I mean, you can't get any smoother than this. Uh, I guess I should mention that technically the artist on this album is Quincy Jones Presents Patty Austin, uh, but that seems a bit pedantic. Also, this song is written by the Dukes, Bugatti and Musker. Yeah, co-written by Musker. Yeah, and yeah, fuck Bugatti, right, Dave? Yeah, well, I'd written that before you wrote it, and I only found Musker, but you dug deeper. <laughs> you think Musker does anything on his, on his own? I don't know. He's probably... Always look underneath. The, always look underneath the musker. You're gonna find some Bugatti behind the musker. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we got some other names on this: Ernie Watts on sax, Richard T on keyboards, Bob James and Greg Fillingames on synth, Steve Lukather and Eric Gale on guitar, Ralph McDonald boots Polino from percussion. Uh, and does the percussion and Chris Parker's on drums who I only mentioned because he, Gale, and T are in the awesome jazz fusion band Stuff and you guys should look them up uh, they have a little disco in them and, and it's good and they too prove Dave wrong 
As you were reading that, I was really hoping Boots Paulino was uh, a funky jazz dude. <laughs> no, Paulino was on most of the other songs, but not he, he booted. One. Got it. Learn to play the piano and change your name. Hmm. So Patty Austin, she's one of these female performers that like Brenda Russell and Diana Ross and Dionne Warwick. They all have like one or two great yacht rock albums in, under their sleeves, and this is one of them for Shiznizzle. I think there are more strong. I'm starting to get the feeling that there's more strong yacht albums by women like, than there are by front, men. Front to back total yeah. album. Yeah. I think we should yachtski one live sometime. Yeah. Uh, which one would you like to do? Which is your favorite? Uh, Two Eyes seems to come up quite a bit. Ross is say that. Ross is pretty extraordinary. Might get some more butts in the seats if we say we're doing a Diana Ross. Yeah, album. yeah. And I, I will tell you, it's all very preliminary now, and this isn't the plug hole, but things are in the work for the new year. Hmm. Live, oh, okay. live shows. All right. Oh, news to us. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so I went most of my life without hearing this song on the radio, on a radio of some sort, I guess. Uh, two days in a row, last week, I heard this song. The first time I ran to my internet radio to see who it was, and I missed it. Uh, only to say, oh, well, I'll never see that bone throw again. And then the next day it came up again, and I didn't hesitate to found out it was Patty Austin. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, quite the... Happenstance. I've, um, bo- I've bone thrown another song from this as recommended by yeah, the first one. Tim Malcolm. Tim Malcolm turned me onto this album. Yeah, it's a great album. Uh, this is a great song. It's a mood lifter. Uh, it's also listed as a remix. I guess the vinyl and cassette version has less layers, and uh, the CD version has been overdubbed with what? Who knows? Because <laughs> uh, I have, I don't have it on vinyl yet. I need to, I need to find it. Uh, anyways, uh, it also has Baby Come to Me on it. I don't know why yeah. I don't have this album. And the, the one you boned through. I, mm-hmm. I, I actually think I have it. We should, yeah, listen, that's we should the, compare uh, it to this it's song. The, it's tell the me what it is. Duet. Anyways, that regardless, Dave, you're totally wrong about this song. It's great. Yeah. I like this song. Um, no, you don't. It's a bit of a disco thing It's a thing disco on song, it. and you said disco sucks, so... Guys, it was, it was a phrase that... No, nah, yeah, you should have been more critical. You should have been more analytical about how you feel about disco wow. and not what people said about it in 1979. Gosh. Also, you're a bit of a rockist. Huh. Uh, I hey. did have a disco sucks sticker on the back of my car in the uh, early 90s. <laughs> because the early 90s, you really needed to make a strong statement about uh, your preferences about disco. Um, I think uh, we're giving Dave a hard time right now, but I think Steve. But it's fun, you know. Steve. I think you really need to listen to this song. Oh yeah, because yeah, I think it's time, time to give Steve a hard time. Yeah, it, yeah. Gi- it gives you it gives you really good advice. Yeah, step um, up to the uh-huh. plate, Steve. It's the lyric is You're basically Dodgers caps. I think to fuck with me. The the lyric in this song is you need one good woman, every home should have one, right? That's, right, that's right. The lyric. And I think it's good advice. You're a man with everything, Steve. You got walls of CDs, yep, that's a true. VCR, <laughs> yep. a view of Jiffy Lube. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's right across the street. But you're missing what the rest of us have: women who can sexually tolerate our unusual penises. Every uh, home should have. Mm-hmm. See, I just need to find a woman with a weirder vagina that's compatible with me. You know, it's kind of hard to find sometimes. You know, there's, there's people your, don't necessarily uh, advertise those things on the uh, the dating app. There's your headline you know. on J Date. Yeah, well, it's called a soulmate. It's when your unusual penis fits inside her weird vagina. It's your soulmate. Yeah. And nothing to do with souls. It has to do with boning. It's the old Cinderella fit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just don't feed it after midnight. Was that the thing? Yeah. Turns into a gremlin. You ready? Did you guys ever see the porn version of Cinderella? I saw Skinderella. Uh, that was different. soft. That was softcore. Yeah, it was like a '70s softcore thing. 
Where Cind Cinderella had a snapping pussy and the Prince Charming had to go find, like, he had to, like, fuck everybody to find where, uh, where his girl with the snapping pussy went. That's like, great. Like, it, it, snapping pussy. Yeah. No, that's where the oh, term... Oh, kept the beat? No, that's where the term snapper comes from. It's like a, it really, you know, grab onto you, give you a tug. All right, this is dumb. Ready to get into this? I am. I didn't write the porn version of Cinderella. All right. That would have been a cool story if you had. Yeah. <laughs> Much more interesting than the story you told. The uh, Okay, I'm going to let this one kind of kind of cook for a little bit, because uh, it's not obvious what it is. Because it's great, because it's disco. Yeah, I'm going to let you guys soak this in. you got some pure disco coming up here. The bongos, the space sounds, a little bit of clunk rocks. Oh, pure, pure, those pure disco bongos. Going to kick in. Yeah. <laughs> Percussion's important, Hunter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, a wise man told me that. Yeah, wait even longer. This is, this is good. This is sewing. Yeah. Sewing yeah, anticipation is. is an art. Sewing anticipation is an art. It's a difficult one to master, yet it appears this fellow, fellow is a PhD from the University of Check This Out, No Wait, Wait For It State. It's fucking Star Wars. Oh, boy. When I was five or six, I wanted the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack, and my parents got this for me. Not only was it the thinnest record I'd ever received... It was fucking disco, man. Which is great, but what do you mean by thin, exactly? I brought I brought it in uh -huh. to show you. Uh-huh. Is that this the is exact the one? This is the one. He's removing it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Dave, I got a question. Careful, does don't it, break it. Does it say flexi-disc on there? It does not. Okay, because I have a bunch of flexi-discs. Yeah. And... <clears throat> This Which, is uh, this is one step up of the the free like paper thin record you would get inside a book or a magazine. That's, oh that's, yeah, that's, I remember that. That's, that's a flexi. Disc. That's a flexi yeah. disc. Then they started applying that to other albums, and they're, it's basically uh, it's basically a vinyl sheet of paper and total shit. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've all heard Mecco. That's really good. I thought that's what he was referring yeah. to. I thought he picked the wrong one. But yeah, no, no, no. Mecco's no. really good. This is this is garbage. Yeah. I looked it up, and, and Dave just brought it. It's it's literally called Music from the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, you can see how my <laughs> with with ha Han and Leia on the cover. I can see how you. And doesn't got... Han kind of look like Luke the way it's drawn? Let me see. Oh, you just lost it? Yeah, I just threw it. Oh, fuck that album. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah that's, that's clearly Leia, but it's not quite clear right. which male star of maybe, Star Wars. Well, that's maybe that's over. Boris. Now, now I need to know. Yeah, it's probably maybe, Boris. Yeah, maybe uh, Boris drew himself on there. I mean, make, it's, it's kind of you Make you look like me. <laughs> so uh, so this is what you're talking about. This is not disco what Disco covers of movie themes. This is not what I'm talking about today. Taking an existing song and making it disco. Not like uh, Herb Alpert up at the top was clearly trying for a dab of disco in the opening song, Rise. Uh, Rise was actually one of the last charting disco hits. It's hmm. hmm. moving on here. Which chart? Billboard, 100. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, I'm back. I picked it up. Here we go. Uh, in 1977, the movie Saturday Night Fever came out and introduced the mainstream to disco. Which is weird, because that movie is borderline unwatchable. You know, you're right. I should have said the soundtrack introduced <laughs> the mainstream the trailer. to disco. Yeah. Uh, in 1978, struggling new wave post-punk band Blondie released a new album called Parallel Lines. Back in 74, they'd written a song called Once I Had a Love that was inspired by the Blackula soundtrack writers, the Hughes Corporation. The song had a bit of a disco feel and was referred to by the band as the Disco Song. Then in 1978, when producer uh, Mark Chapman, no relation to Mark David Chapman, <laughs> was prepping the band to record, he asked them to play all other songs. 
When the band was done, he said, the last thing a band wants to hear, do you have any other songs? And they said, just this dumb disco one. Mark Chapman got the old dollar signs in his eyes, and this song hit number one. Mike Chapman was Blondie's producer. Oh, Mark, Mark David. Mark David Chapman is the guy who shot John Lennon. Oh, oh Catcher in the Rye fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good book. Literary fan. <laughs> the uh, artists we're looking at today all had one same thing in common, whether it was an attempt for the cash grab, a grasp at relevance, or simply just being inspired by the current musical climate, all of these artists decided to go disco. And they have another thing in common, which is that they all have artistic integrity and a resume of like really solid, groundbreaking music. And most of them do. No. Um, so this playlist is actually full of some of the greatest, or at least most interesting disco songs you're going to find. Yeah. Um, these are real artists putting their unique talents into music that garbage producers usually turn into turds on tape. I don't know. I, I, I think the, the larger question here is, how do you react to the world changing around you? Like, can you adapt to it while you still maintaining your core identity and your personal strong points? That explains or your sandals. do you wander adrift, desperate to stay relevant, and convince people that you're still cool, just like this new stuff everyone thinks is cool? Yeah. That's why I'm wearing sandals right now. Also, it's 100 degrees out in October. And you're wearing jeans. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to show my... He's got you there. I don't want to show my... He has got you there. I don't want to show my legs. Yeah, because your feet are so I'm sexy. Ashamed, I'm ashamed of most of my body, but my feet I don't give a fuck about. So there we go. Yeah. couple things. Growing out your toenails? <laughs> <laughs> couple things. Wearing uh, a sports hat there, Dave, because you love sports so much. All like, right, you two. I look good in Get blue. a room. Uh, a couple things I, want, I wanted to bring up. One, Boris Midney does kind of look like uh, uh, Han Solo. Okay. Uh, he looks, yeah. Um, also, uh, this is great, Dave. I don't know why what your thing is about well, I love disco. This. Why? Why do you hate it this so much? Why do you think it sucks? Songs. I don't get it. Anyways, I don't I think you're, I don't think you're proving your own list. point. I think you're ruining your point. Disco sucks was a. You know what? We know what it is. Go, we'll go over your timeline here, Dave. Let's keep this this truck moving. All right. Um, I mentioned that in 77, Saturday Night Fever brought what was an underground New York and Philly dance scene into the mainstream. By February of 79, disco dominated the Grammys and a backlash was starting. Summer of 79, there was the famous disco demolition night at Comiskey Park, where the White Sox actually had to forfeit their second game of a doubleheader to the Tigers after crowds rushed the field following a local radio stunt nice. where, where they blew up a shitload of disco albums. Nice, bro. In July of 79, there were six disco songs in the top ten. By September, there was just one, Herb Albert's Rides. By 1980, disco was dead. 78 to 80, pretty narrow window for these guys to dip, and dip they did. Uh, can I briefly mention why most of 70s America hated disco? Yeah, it was both gay and black. You're, All right, you're absolutely oh. right. No, that's and two hated minorities in one. A protest uh, backlash from the uh, disco demolition night started. People were like, "No, that's not what it's about. Make America great again." Oh man, I'm so depressed now. Hey, you want to get in the countdown? Yeah, sure. All right, this is a brand new song. It's called Number Ten. <laughs> Number Ten. Sweet. Okay, starting off a little weak on the disco here, but it'll kick in in a second. This is Stephen Stills with Can't Get No Booty. 
Oh boy, that sounds like a perfect idiom for Steven Stills. Yeah, to yeah. Be in. The song pretty much sucks, but it's fascinating, and I really wanted to talk about it and have it on the show. It's from the Stills's uh, Steven Stills's 1978 Thoroughfare Gap. Uh, which, aside from being a Civil War battlefield, has some real shit reviews. All Music said, A rather poor attempt of Stephen Stills to adapt the disco craze. Uh, they even went as far as to get Andy Gibb to sing background on the album. This one sounds a little bit country to me, and in the tradition of country music being four years behind, it's interesting to notice that a country disco crossover existed well into the early 80s. Uh, I credit this song as being the birth of country pop. Hmm. Well, I'm, I think this is a great example. <laughs> country um, disco pop. <laughs> I, I think this is a good the example curve. of uh, disco dippers will be meeting today, as I mentioned earlier. Like, they all seem to be like, well, sure, I'll give disco one half-assed try, but I'm going to do it in my style so I only lose 80% of my integrity. This has that sound, that Laurel Canyon folk rock sound. Well, you can hustle to it. So good job, Stills, who I once watched from the wings while he performed with Neil Young while Crosby and Nash were standing on either side of me. I'll offer that story anytime. Crosby, Riz, and Nash. <coughs> in a wonderful moment. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just reminiscing. Yeah? Right. Did, 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 what did it smell like? Nothing. It smells like kimchi burps over here. Uh, this, to me, sounds like a standard Joe Walsh. R.I.P. R.I.P. Joe Walsh. I, uh, standard Joe Walsh song, except with the word booty, which makes it a little more disco. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like a Joe Walsh song? It does. It does. It yeah, does. It's like, does. my Maserati goes, I can hear it. Uh, this except is the, Joe Walsh wouldn't say that he can't get booty. No, that guy's... Because life's been too good. To, like, Joe Walsh gets a lot of booty. That guy's an ass deep in ass. Yeah, yeah. Dis- disco's usually more confident in this. Yeah. So I think if this song were called, like, I Can Get Booty, it would have been a bigger hit. Or, yeah. like, Getting Your Booty. Yeah. Uh, this On was, the dance floor. This was the last solo album Stills did for quite a while. He wouldn't make another one for six years. Maybe it was because he began touring with Crosby, Stills, and Nash again right before this was released. Or maybe it was because this entire album feels like more of a fulfillment of a contract obligation than an honest work of artistic expression. But here's the kicker. I found out that Stills has some disco street cred. Motherfucker played percussion for the Bee Gees on You Should Be Dancing. There you go. He learned a thing yeah, or two. Wrap your head around that one. And when I listen to the Joe Walsh thing, the difference here and and Joe Walsh, I've been listening. Whoa! This had, whoa! It's, it's parts like that. Yeah. And it's also there's a that octave bass thing that disco has that. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's they a syncopated the, bass. They don't. No, they play the. They play, no, they play the bass on the octaves, so they, they'll go. Yeah. Yeah. That bow, 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 like the uh, theme to uh, Heart to Heart. Yeah. I not the not the login song, but the the TV, TV show, show yeah. about the married detective. Bum, 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 bum. No, no, yeah. no, that's not really what I'm talking about. No, we should do that some more though. Okay. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. There you Almost go. an oompa. Yeah, it's kind of an oompa. This is one of our older songs, but it still kicks ass. It's called Number Nine. Number Nine. There we go. This is a bit of a tough one for me. I love The Clash, but I never really loved this song. This is Magnificent Seven off of Sandinista. Why didn't you like it? Because Disco Socks, Dave? No, it just... <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll get Big into it. it here. I'll get into it here. I have a very specific memory of discovering The Clash. I was at a hard rock cafe waiting for a table in Orlando, 
probably around 6th oh. or 7th grade. Man, Dave is really good at like sneaking brags into his writing for the show, isn't he? Well, I also had a Red Hot Chili Peppers phase, so my life wasn't always the awesomeness of the Hard Rock Cafe or Orlando. All right, all right, Mr. Cool Vacations as a kid. Uh, I put money in the jukebox and played the song London Calling because the name sounded really cool, and when it came on, I was obsessed. I'd heard Rock the Casbah and Should I Stay or Should I Go, but this was different, this was badass, and I did what any 6th or 7th grader would do, and I went out and bought the greatest hits. This track was one that I always skipped, and honestly, it always seemed like kind of a disco song to me, and I think that's why I skipped it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You should just embrace the fact that you think disco sucks. Because you've been denying it ever since we took you to task on it. I, I was obsessed with Saturday Night Fever in high school. I made, uh, uh, we had to do a parody, we had to re- a video of Julius Caesar. I made one called Saturday Night Caesar, mm-hmm. where I set Julius Caesar in the disco era. It was fantastic. Great mm-hmm. soundtrack. <laughs> uh, Are you going to read the script for an episode sometime? Uh, I think it might be Lost of the Ages. Uh. <laughs> Here's where this selection gets Steve convoluted. Steve Ages, he took it. Uh. Mick Jones was a huge fan of early hip-hop, and he started carrying around a boombox, earned him the name Whack Attack. Strummer made up the lyrics on the spot, and it's widely credited as being the very first rock song to attempt hip-hop, because they did it six months before Blondie did Rapture. But God damn it, the beat and the bass of all this really make it a disco song for me. Um, but Rapper's Delight was rapped to a disco beat and released the same year as this, so this counts. To these guys, it was probably these American... Or wait, here's a... These American blacks... Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, oh. These American blacks found a way to make disco cool. Oh, oh. Jesus Christ. Man. Well, there was was always a... There was a subset of the post-punk movement that really embraced disco-type dance beats, like Gang of Four especially. This one I hear... I hear it's like disco but filtered through dub reggae. Like when you have like the weirdly mixed yeah. rhythm section, and that's kind of the far away. That's also the direction end. the Clash was really going that time. Yeah. Was reggae. A song like this reminds me of like the Happy Mondays and that scene, the 24-hour party people scene. That oh, the would Manchester emerge. scene. The Manchester mm-hmm. scene. Madchester. Yeah. Madchester. Yeah. It's, it's fine. Uh, the bass part on this song was played by Norman Watt Roy, who was from the band The Blockheads, more commonly known as Ian Dury and the Blockheads, which I'm sure you all remember from Hunter's Rock Band episode. They played Spasticus Autisticus that got them banned from the BBC. These guys all ran around together and frequently collaborated on each other's crap, like uh, any uh, real music scene. So, in conclusion, The Clash is a very complex band full of contrast. This song for our true fans that are stuck with us. It's called Number Eight. Number Eight! Ah, finally a music video where Paul and his band look like a whole pack of Falcos. And let me describe the the pace job that Dave did in the outline here. Uh, So first we have a picture of Paul McCartney looking like Falco. And next we've got a picture of Falco. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for clarifying that for us here in the room. Great visual joke for the podcast. Yeah, that was more for you guys. Uh, I I believe I talked about something once and Hunter said, if you're going to talk about it, you've got to put a picture in the document. (laughs) No, so there there you go. Hunter's got good rules. Uh, this is. I, don't, I can't remember what it was. I don't remember either. I just, I just. You like, guys talk about your dicks a lot. So I, I just, that. I just have clip art of Falco ready to go. <laughs> there was a chance to use it. 
This is the band Wings with Good Night Tonight, which was a single and didn't appear on the album that it was made for. The album was Back to the Egg, in case anyone gives a shit. Uh, I don't understand why you don't put a song like this on an otherwise forgettable el- album. Is it the runtime? Like, why did they do this in the 70s, especially in, in England? I, you only fit so much music on a vinyl. In England, they're just not as uptight as Americans are about putting singles on albums. Why? Why? But why wouldn't you do that? I just don't understand why. You just like because before the album format took over, you record a hot new song. You want to get it out there. You don't wait to put it on an album. You get it out there now so it can be a big hit, make you money. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. If you get it out there, release it as a single, then put it on their album. You got to wait for all the re-releases in, in the 2000s to get it back on the album. I'll tell you something. Looking at you, T-Rex. <laughs> tell you something, Dave. Tell you what surprised mm-hmm. me about this song is that Wings was still making music in 1979. Yeah. Uh, Paul would ditch. He ditched this dead weight the next year and come out with the revolutionarily bonkers album McCartney Two. Yeah. Temporary secretary, anyone? Yeah. Oh. Bonkers. Bonanza bonkers, that album. Yeah, Wings made it to 1981, and we'd have to live with a large Wings-filled hole in our hearts until 1990. When Wings returned directly after Cheers to form a formidable Thursday night lineup and the beginnings of what would become must-see TV. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Finally got our Wings back. Good, yeah. good. William Hickey uh, was uh, joined at that point. Uh, that after Stephen Linda's uh, death? Uh, you hear the obvious uh, disco tropes here, most obviously the syncopated bass line. Uh, before Paul was in Wings with Linda McCartney and other heavy hitters, he was in a Liverpool-based band called The Beatles. One of his bandmates, John Legend, remarked, I really don't care for the song, but I do enjoy Paul's bass line. Uh, John was later gunned down by Mark David Chapman, no relation to Mike Chapman, the following year. It's not clear if this song had anything to do with his murder. Wasn't he in the Silver Beatles? Are you thinking of the shitty Beatles? <laughs> I, I, just, I don't know. I was listening to this song again because I, had, I hadn't heard it in a while. It feels a little slight to me. Like, <clears throat> like Paul's interested in trying this disco thing on for size. He wants to feel what that groove might be like underneath him. But in the end, he isn't feeling it quite enough to really develop this into anything more. You hear those synthy space sounds? Pew, 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 pew. I call that development. Yeah. Is that octave bass line in there? Um, kind of. Yeah, sort of. There's a bouncy bass, yeah. Well, shockingly enough, this turd hit number five in the U.S. It was behind the Village People, Susie Quattro, Donna Summer, and Peaches and Herb. Not surprisingly, Adam Sandler used this turd in his 2010 epic Grown Ups Part 1. Go easy on the Sandman. He gave me a lot of laughs when I was 15. Has there been a Grown Ups Part 2? What's that? Has there been a Grown Ups Part 2? There has. There has been. How about Part 5? Not yet. Wait wait for it. This song got us banned from playing several colleges. We don't give a fuck. It's called Number 7. Seven. Good bumpers. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm not a Grateful Dead fan. I'll be the first to admit it. I don't even like spelling their name correctly. I will. It's ho- true. He didn't you like know. spelling their name correctly. I will, however, hand it to them here. They really dipped a toe into some disco on this one. 
Yeah, without the baggage, I think this would otherwise be a pretty fun disco, yeah. disco song. Disco yeah. rock song. It's it's almost got like um, another one bites the dust kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, drummer Mickey Hart had co-writing credits on this one, which wasn't super common for him, but he managed to sneak more than a, a couple turds into what is the Grateful Dead's overall <laughs> shit sandwich. Uh, what's interesting, he states that the inspiration for the song came from his interest in disco, specifically, once again, the Bee Gees. See, I have a theory. Okay, So the Grateful Dead had a real problem with uh, more fans showing up in the parking lot that would come to the show. They were looking for miracles, which were free tickets. They'd go be in the parking lot giving peace signs going, hey, I'm looking for a miracle. Anybody got a miracle? They wanted people to give them to them. Right. So the fans became such a nuisance to the point that the venues were threatening to cancel shows. So I figured, you know, it, the Dead would release a song like this so far out of their sound. This is the most anti-Deadhead sound of the day. So you might, you know, get rid of some of those hippie parasites. Do you think that's why they did it, Dave? Could be. Do you it's think that's why? Yeah. That's maybe. my theory. Maybe. Either that or they just uh, were influenced by the disco thing and wanted to alienate their fans, which is kind of what they, they like, they, there was a lot of blowback from this one. Um, I don't know. This one doesn't really work for me, but then again, most Grateful Dead songs don't. Doesn't work for you as a disco song or as yeah, music? Well, how does it either, not work for you? Either. Uh, oh, this is totally a disco I song. I think... But it's, I don't like it as a disco song, and I think the reason is that disco works best when it implies fucking, and nothing about the Grateful Dead's music suggests to me that they have ever fucked anyone or anything. I can only assume that they all secretly died virgins. They, no, they had drugs. They yeah. fucked a lot. Yeah, the drugs. yeah they, were in a, they were in a rock band and had drugs. <laughs> yeah. Prove it. Uh, well, not they, the drugs. Yeah. Prove that they fucked. They had drugs. They had kids. Uh, oh, that's well, good What if it was in vitro? Uh, uh, every single one. Yep, yep, I think you're onto something, Steve. Um, the be- <laughs> Oh, boy. It was that. an early technology back then. Yeah. But I mean. It was more of a turkey baster and a Dixie cup. They were rich, en- <laughs> they were rich enough to try it. Yeah. Plenty of money for Dixie cups. Uh, oh, boy, do the fans hate this one. They accuse the band of selling out to disco and mainstream baiting. Dead fans wouldn't roll mainstream their eyes. Mainstream baiting? <laughs> mainstream baiting. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, dead fans would, wouldn't roll their eyes this hard until a bunch of people that I went to high school with started to refer themselves as deadheads and began listening to Touch of Grey in the mid-90s. I dated a cheerleader that called a guy a poser for liking this song. She was a cheerleader. She was in a deeper cuts like Casey Jones of Fire on the Mountain. <laughs> and man, did it get bad when I went to college. People started discovering the dead, and it's probably why I never got into weed, because just the whole culture of it sort of was a little repellent to me. You should try vaping CBD oil. I got I got some last week. I uh, started vaping. CBD. CBD? What is that? It's uh, the Weed has two elements, THC, which makes you high, and yeah. CBD, which has all the medicinal benefits. Ah. CBD, CBD always has a little bit of THC in it, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it just makes you feel calm and good, makes you want to eat a sandwich. Ooh. Listen, Riz is a weed guy now. I love sandwiches. Uh, this song is actually starting to sound pretty darn good to me. <laughs> I don't know. I, there One secondary reason that I never really got into weed was I was afraid it would make me think that shitty hippie music was actually kind of okay. Like, whoa, man. I'm just trying to chill out to these crunchy grooves. 
I, I listened to the Grateful Dead a little bit. Yeah. I never I never found them that great, but respected them for touring. Because at the time, I valued live performances to studio chemistry. It was the mid to late 90s. Uh, the problem with the Dead and the other band genre obsession is that the force, it, it like forces blind adherence. Mm-hmm. Like this is definitely one of these types of music people. I prefer... There's something art, about I, the human condition that really pulls us all to that. Like larger I, groups. I prefer artists without that blind adherence that has conquered some. But anyways... It's, it's a never surrender lyric, guys. Oh. Sorry. I'm sorry, Hunter. I anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, but then again, I've always been a poser. Like your <laughs> your girl, your cheerleader girlfriend would have hated me. I think she would have found you very handsome. This song's about politics, real politics. It's called Number Six. Number Six. Yeah. You hearing that? Whoa! <laughs> Holy portable radio. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, talk about a desperate grasp to stay relevant. This snake charmer is 1979's Here Comes the Night by the Beach Boys. Originally recorded in 1967 for the Wild Honey album, they decided to turn it into a disco song. I know I said the genre isn't just adding a disco beat to an already popular song, but this one changed it so much it's almost unrecognizable, and also the original was never popular. So piss off. Uh, I've it's never heard of, this, but I think it's pretty great. Yeah, it's so it, far what I've really? heard. Really? Yeah. It's a fun song. Why do you think disco sucks, Steve? Me over there. I think this is a good time to talk about disco dips and snake charmer and the Venn diagrams of the two. Um, I don't think many of these songs are snake charm caliber disco dips. Uh, yeah, uh, a few of them are embarrassing, but... So far, they, they I mean, have, other than the Stephen Stills one, I haven't. It, it hasn't really been like, oh my god, yeah. I'm cringing. And even that was in his wheelhouse for the most part, sort um, of. But this one, like, Hooey! this is this Venn diagram yeah. just one circle, son. Yeah. So here's my thing with snake charming. I think it's like a catch-all term. I don't think a Venn diagram is really appropriate unless it's swallowing all the other genres where old guys try to make modern music, which is a shit ton of stuff easily. Can easily be divided genre by genre, uh, but then again, I'm sure I don't quite get snake charmers like I, how I think divorce chorus songs about divorce. But apparently, they're about the deaths of Marvin Gaye and uh, Jackie Wilson. Oh mm-hmm. man, you gotta go back deep into the yarn yards for that reference, Marvin. Well, my the point is, my genres that I come up with are so complex and nuanced they kind of <laughs> go over Hunter's head a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And really, they really they might be a little too heady. For your yeah. average listener. Yeah, I mean, for Michigan State students, graduates. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing, but Snake Charm... It's three against one in this room, buddy. Yeah, that's why none of you guys get me, because you're not smart enough, okay? But Snake Charm... We can't talk re- about it, jizz that long. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a catch-all of, like, you could break it down to, like, sub, like... Uh, I, oh, I, I, I will say... Okay, so this is, this is what I wrote. I will say that, uh, that not all of this... I would say not all of these songs are snake charming because a lot of these artists are young and or currently relevant at the time they made it. So I guess a Venn diagram would work. So in this, it would be outside. It would be a big giant Uh snake charmer and then a little bit of other stuff. Okay. With a little bit hanging on the outside. Because Beach Boys had another snake charmer like the next year that I'm going to feature the snake charmer show. Um, Yeah. But this one, this one's just pure disco schlock. 
Four on the floor beat that drives it, some space voices, a little wah-wah on the guitar, and of course, the disco strings. And you hear that, your, your bass part's coming up here, JD. This is There's no disco bongos. Yeah. Where are the disco bongos? They're not in this one. But that's not necessary. I said percussion is important, not necessary. Get it together, Hunter. This is a paint-by-numbers attempt at a disco hit. Also, this is one song I doubt we'll be repeating today because it's over 11 fucking minutes long. Now, it certainly is... I bet we could do it. It certainly isn't as bad as Brian Do you Brian want to talk Wilson's, more about uh, Venn diagrams? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could talk about that uh, the bass line in this. Yeah, they really ticked all the box on this one. I can only imagine this song is uh, the one that the shitty club DJ in uh, the shitty club put on when he had to take a shit and didn't want to miss his segue. Oh, here's 11 minutes. I can go uh, jerk off, take a shit, and call my mom. Do you think anybody played this in the club? <laughs> <laughs> Which club? I'll, I'll bet uh, the shitty club. Vins. I'll bet uh, Mike Love like showed up. He's like, "Hey man, have you heard this new Beach Boys release? Like in a trench coat and glasses, and then sat in the back." <laughs> I think they played this one at like Studio Seventeen. Yeah, Studio Fifty Three. Uh, there may have been some uh, younger parents, like maybe early forties. Uh, in the uh, 1970s, they were like, well, I want to get these disco kids into my music. Here's our meeting point. I mean, there, there are these periodic little bits that, like, are you going to hear the Beach Boys trying consciously to sound like the Beach Boys? Uh, hey, we're those guys, you remember? Or whatever. Did they use the original vocal recordings from 1967 and just put the beat underneath it? Or did they re-record it? I would have to imagine a little bit of both. This would have been a weird song if it didn't have that disco beat on yeah. the back of it. I think maybe some of the backup vocals were reused, but the singing, the main, the lead has got to be redone. I think the lead is Mike Love, if yeah. I'm hearing correctly. Anything else, boys? No. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Is this one of the greatest movie themes ever written? Or is this one of the greatest movie themes ever written? The correct answer is yes. This is one of the greatest movie themes ever written. Of course, this is uh, Holiday Road by Lindsey Buckingham. Uh, Hunter, you know how I always bitch about Kiss repeating the same hook over and over and over in their songs without any sort of development or pacing or variation? I think I remember that. Yeah. See, if Kiss's hooks were as good as this, it wouldn't even matter. Just like it doesn't matter here, this is great. And Kiss would never put dog barks and doorbells and shit into the mix, uh, unless it would make them money. Mm. Unless they could copyright the dog barks. That's and a good Lindsay, idea, guys. And the reason Lindsey Buckingham does that, he's really just looking for ways to pad this song out past two minutes. Uh, he clearly does not give a shit about this song. And that's how talented he is. He can crap out hooks this catchy and infectious in his sleep, smell what he just crapped out, and go, Ew, ugh. I'm not going to do much with this. I'm not even going to think of more than two rhymes for the verses. Here's a weird, noisy guitar solo in the middle. And it's still this insanely brilliant earworm. Uh, I looked, I didn't realize it, but there was a video for this song. 
Uh, Lindsay's trapped in this big warehouse-looking space. They clearly just rented out a warehouse and put some, like, box desks in it. There's a bunch of bored office workers. He's, uh, dressed up like a slightly glammed-up Charlie Sheen. He just kind of walks around very, very slowly. And when he lip-syncs, he barely moves. And he just stares directly into the camera until he, all, all you can focus on is the guy liner he's wearing. And he comes off as really serious and kind of creepy, which is not what the song sounds like at all. But it is in keeping with his general aesthetic of expending as close to zero energy on Holiday Road as he possibly can. And what's funny is it's far and away the most remembered song of his solo career, even though it only hit like number 82 on the charts. Oh, and don't forget the video also has a lot of slow motion water spills. It's yeah, a, it's a really nice up, 80s cliche. They fill up a lot of time with that. The water splash just keeps going and going. Yeah, it's like a Ned Doheny yet? album cover. <laughs> <laughs> and this song is barely available anywhere. The original studio version isn't on any imprint CD. I don't think it ever has been. Is that, it is on I Spotify. I think it was. It true? was on. I think it was on uh, European Vacation soundtrack. Okay, that might have been on CD. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm not. I think the on original, I, the original movie didn't have. A, they may not have even had a soundtrack release. Well, guys, on vinyl. Have they, I, they do. I, I, I have it, but I don't think this was on it. This have, didn't come into the second one. Did have it? I got a story for you? Oh, boy. I'm gonna break into this because I didn't know this was coming. I didn't know this was not available. So, years and years ago, they. Uh, was it Magic Mountain? Which is yeah. that's where they filmed that Six Flags, where, Magic Mountain. That's Wally World. Wally World was. They re- they gave out a CD of all the National Lampoon songs, and I specifically got it because it had new looks yeah. by Dr. John on it, and that yeah, was the only good. way I could get new looks. I'm pretty sure I have it on CD at home. It's like there was like a thousand or two thousand. They I have that, yeah. and I'm pretty sure I'm 99.9 percent sure. This song is also on there. That makes it even rarer. Yeah. I'll bring it in and show you. I'll make All you a right. copy. I'll burn you guys a copy. Awesome. Whoever is in charge of curating the National Lampoon musical legacy, you're doing a shit job. Because we love the music from yeah. that show. Yeah. There's demand for your product. Yeah, uh, Plastique but- Batrond was in European Vacation. That was a great fucking soundtrack. That's how I discovered Plastique Batrond. Oh. I, uh, oh, I found that's him on a Rhino New Wave Hits compilation. Huh. <laughs> uh, but you know, the National Lampoon people are not the only ones neglecting this song. Lindsey Buckingham rarely performs it or really even talks about it, but you can find a live version uh, from an album called Live at the Bass Performance Hall from 2008. It's the only Lindsey Buckingham album that song is on. And. Uh, as the song ends, he starts growling and barking along with the dog sound effects. Uh, copyright pretty, Lindsay Buckingham. Yeah. He just goes, bark, 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 bark like a dog, bark like a dog. It's, it's bananas, and I recommend that you listen to it. It just illustrates the fucking contempt that he holds this piece of music in for whatever reason. Um, so... Uh, when they redid National Lampoon's Vacation in 2015, they had the Zach Brown band cover this, and their version sucks because they're country guys who don't want to do any of the high vocals because they're men, they're hard-working men. Either that or they just don't have the range to do them, and again, that's because they're hard-working men. But that's not all. The soundtrack producers also had another guy cover it, 
named Matt Pond PA, and actually apparently the PA is part of the name of Matt Pond's band, Matt Pond PA. I guess he's because he's from Philly. But that guy, Matt Pond, and Matt Pond PA, they make it into this depressing Elliot Smith iron and wine type sad sack indie singer-songwriter overdubbing himself in the in his bedroom at three in the morning. What was your genre? What was your genre name? I just said beards and banjos one day, and it seemed to fit. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's gonna work. Yeah, um, European vacation. This is, this is this is from this is from vacation one, but European vacation, vacation two. It was also in there. Oh, I'm sure it was. Because they had to know their goal. The you intro know? music. They were stamping uh, passports and. It's iconic. They didn't yeah. never release it on CD. It's dumb. So European. I got it. It's, <laughs> That's one of those early movies that I got my hands on that had boobs in it. Yeah. I, I keep remember like I remember the boobs as being like super huge. <laughs> and then the German girl when the German girl, you know, she shows her boobs to Rusty. Mm-hmm. Uh they, they were the biggest boobs I've ever seen in my mind. But then I, I did some research yesterday, and I found the image of those boobs. <laughs> yeah. And Researching the podcast. They're not that big at all. They're nice They're nice looking little boobs, but they're not the big biggies that and burned into my mind. You know, they were probably seen bigger because your hands were so small when you were holding them up to the screen <laughs> when you were nine. Yeah. Uh, I know the scene you're talking about. Rusty's about to touch boobs in Germany when Clark pisses off the town by slap dancing, starts a fight, and they decide to kill him. And the family has to run. And while most of the movie was filmed on location in Europe, that scene was shot later on the Universal Studios back lot. And you can see the hills of Griffith Park in the background. There's your location's fun fact. All right. Oh, I had Holiday Road Live all queued up, but I forgot to play it. Oh, oh well. just skip to the end. Oh, we, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, we've been on this for 10 minutes. It's worth it. Anyone who doesn't like this song can fuck off. It's called number five. Yeah, I like this one. It's one of my favorites on the list. I'd put this in my. I'd put this in my top five. I'm gonna say this is. There's a reason why this is one of your favorites. This, that little beat right there sounds like one of the pre-programmed rhythms on my grandma's old 1970s electric organ that she had in her condo. No, where'd it go? Uh, I think it's in my sister's house now. That's probably she, still there. Those things are heavy as fuck. No, we had to sell the condo. Oh. Uh, Oregon didn't stay with it. Here we go. This is from the Who's 1982 album, It's Hard, (laughs) which features an Atari video arcade game on the cover as an updated reference to the pinball wizard. The uh, name of the album is a reference to Pete Townsend's wiener when he thinks about underage boys. Heyo! That video game is actually a trap for teen boys. You know, they see that and they go, oh, what game is this then? And they walk in and the trap closes. And then the video game is, isn't fun for very long mm-hmm. when Uncle Pete comes in to help him yeah. out. Uh, I never thought about this as a disco song. It's very, it's very sneaky. Yeah. When you when you do that, it makes it even more disco. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's sneaky. It, also sneaky is the words Eminence Front. Not really a term that fits a song, especially a disco song. Up until probably my mid-twenties, I thought they were saying living in a funk. Uh, but I was probably projecting. <laughs> JD, didn't you think they were saying chop, chopping in a suey? Yeah. <laughs> chopping in a suey? Yeah. You heard living in a funk? Yeah, listen you, to it. You, and try- you weren't thinking of living in a box by, uh... By living in a box? Yeah. What album was that on? Probably living in a box. Yeah, I think you're right. I still hear it when I listen to it today. I still hear living in a box. Mondegreen is what we call that. I hear, let me look at your front. Little boy, let me look at your front. Yeah, look at your front? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, the song itself uh, apparently is about the drug use and delusions of the wealthy and hedonistic. It's a good line, and if the rest of his book was written as well as that, I wouldn't have reviewed it so poorly on Amazon. Take that, Pete Townsend. I have a voice now. Okay, so the eminence front is when the wealthy and hedonistic put on a front of eminence to excuse their bad behavior at a sleazy disco. Is that the idea, I guess? Yeah. You know, sure. most, most okay. of the songs make perfect sense. Yeah. Um... Uh, like Hunter was saying, this is a very, very, very cool disco dip. It's very well disguised. Like a man in a van pretending to be a friend of your parents and telling you they're in the hospital or like, that he lost a dog. Mm-hmm. It's a very good disguise. Yeah. Get away with a lot in a disguise. As good as this song, this disco song is disguised as a cool rock song. Yeah. You know, I'm, eh? Eh? I, I'm back to thinking eh? this isn't a disco song. I'm sorry. I think, Wait, let me, let me I think this is like Yeah, I think this is a white British funk song with synths That's why they keep saying living in a funk It has a double <laughs> meaning That's why they say it Well, this I is- think they're saying Eminem's front I think they're looking ahead To when Eminem would become a popular rapper 20 years later or the candy that Pete uses to uh, lure children into his van that JD was talking about. Oh, Eminem's front, yeah. yeah. Uh, this wasn't a very popular Who album. This is the only song they've played live after the initial tour. In fact, Daltrey stayed up and said, Eminem's front was the only song on this album worthy of release. To which Pete replied, Oi, I was doing research! <laughs> That's just his thing now. It's his, it's yeah. his twitch. Yeah. Come close him. I'm doing research! I was doing research! You want a sandwich, Pete? I'm doing research! JD, how big were those boobs in the European yeah, I was vacation? Just gonna say, we just just made that joke in reference to JD. They were, you know, they were they were not big. I, I knew what I was I, doing. I saw. I, I looked at a still. I think maybe if I watched the scene, maybe they would have had some bounce to them, yeah. and that's where it fooled well, me. You gotta you gotta click on Google Image uh-huh. and then click through them. Oh, see okay. like different angles. Okay. <laughs> um. Where was I? There was a great review in Rolling Stone in the tradition where they take an aging band's new album and give it five stars. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Paul McCartney still got it in 2017. Didn't even listen that close. Five stars. Yeah, Paul the tra- McCartney. The tradition is more like, ah, someone we remember. What must this provenly great artist have to say about our modern times? Truly a statement for our modern times. Five stars. Uh, Park Peterbaugh. That was written by like a 24-year-old. Yeah. Uh, well, here, Park Peterbaugh, who well, Jan Winter I comes assume... Well, Jan Winter comes in. You gave a Paul McCartney album one star, you little piece of shit? You rewrite this and give it five stars or you're out of Rolling Paul Stone. Paul fucking McCartney. He's a proven artist. The, uh, the review was something like, their most vital and coherent album since Who's Next? Uh, the dude that wrote it also proclaimed that the song I've Known No War was a song that become an anthem to our generation, much the way Won't Get Fooled Again did a decade ago. He was wrong, but the song really is quite incredible, this song. Uh, it's been used in countless movies and TV shows. I'm sure it was in an episode of Miami Vice yep. at some point. They were living in a funk on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> and most recently, it was used in the uh, 2016 GOP convention. Mm. Oh, is, so it's about the drug use and delusions of the wealthy and hedonistic? Okay, yeah, that checks mm-hmm. out. Well, The Who wouldn't release another studio album until 2006, which makes this the last studio album that John Entwistle played on. Oh, and from the Rolling Stone review of that album, I looked it up. Which is I it, was doing research! The, the album's called Endless Wire, reviewed by one David Frick, and he writes... 
In the, his liner notes, Townsend said he wrote a man in a purple dress after seeing Mel Gibson's film The Passion of the Christ. Yet it is easier to hear in the song's stark 63 Dylan bite the public rush to judgment after Townsend's 2003 arrest for viewing child pornography <laughs> online. Parentheses, the charges were dropped. For four stars they gave the album. The Who's 2006 album they gave four stars for a veiled whine about being a victim even though he's the pedophile. If David Frick had done his research as I so vigilantly do, he'd realize that this album is garbage. And I'm sorry to stay on this, their 2006 album, it's totally irrelevant, but there's a song called Mike Post, Post Theme, Theme, which yeah. sounds like it'd be a pretty great <laughs> yeah, song, right? Yeah, it should be yeah. awesome. P.I., yeah. A-Team? Yeah, the Who's singing about Mike Post is awesome. The song has mandolin in it. Enough said. They blew it. Huge disappointment. It was by mm. a, It was about a post. It was about an actual post. <laughs> Named Mike. Named Mike. Yeah. Uh, the video for this song is pretty great. It's just them all showing up uh, to uh, uh, rehearsal. And, like, Daltrey gets out of a limo with girls, and Pete gets out of a... Actually, it's a broken-down van. <laughs> you see, like, like a couple little heads poke it out, and people pull them back in real quick. It's my research van. <laughs> my mobile research unit. Got cameras on the inside, cameras on the outside. Cameras in the toilet, just in case. <laughs> a boy's locker room repair kit inside. I don't know what accent I'm slipping in. <laughs> All right. All right, let's, let's uh, keep going. We never thought we'd play this again, but we got Kevin's blessing. It's called number four. <laughs> number four! I want to know everything about this band and the bumpers. I want to know who Kevin is, why they weren't allowed to play band number four, what colleges they got banned from. I know, it's quite I am story. so engrossed. You made it all the way to number four before. Yeah. Alright, this is one of the obvious ones on the list. It's 1978's Do You Think I'm Sexy from Rod Stewart's Blondes Have More Fun album. Oh, he was a blonde. Yeah, well, the album was a success and the song went to number one, and it's not a very well-kept secret that the album title is the sole reason that Rod still bleaches his pubes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, this is disco. This is disco. Yes, right definitely here. disco. Yeah. Have you ever seen the original video of Rod Stewart singing this? Uh, the answer to do you think I'm sexy is no. Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, this is weird, but yeah, you actually do kind of look sexy, you bad dancing weirdo, you, Rod Stewart. This one is interesting. Is, uh, it was originally intended as a spoof. Uh, song co-writer Carmine Apice, yes, that Carmine Apice, said that the rock and roll guys thought they were dead meat when Saturday Night Fever came out. Another Bee Gees reference. Then Rod decided to do a dumb uh, spoof of disco. He then added... There's no such thing as a dumb super success. Rolling Stone put this in their top 500 songs of all time. I think it was at 308, but I didn't actually look it up. Uh, Talented people can't make jokes. That's that's the truth. (laughs) Unless they're talented and joke. Because they have great success. You look at Trump, the Trump presidency. He's He's very talented as a personality. You can't deny him that. And he, so he gets away with everything. So therefore, Rod Stewart is the disco Trump. I cannot find a flaw in that argument. Oh, well, if, if you're talking about how talented people can't, like they can't, they're too good to make things into a joke. Look at Holiday Road that we were just talking about. Lindsey Buckingham is still kicking himself for accidentally making that song that good. Yeah. No, I wish you wouldn't have tried so hard on all those Fleetwood Mac albums. <laughs> uh, I talked briefly about the disco demolition night at the uh, the uh, cooler of the Chicago baseball team stadiums back in 79. <laughs> 
The DJ that organized it was a dude named Steve Dahl. He was a Chicago-based shock jack that pulled stunts like that. He also made a parody song of uh, this called Do You Think I'm Disco? That probably did about as well as Disco Duck did for Rick D's. Disco Duck was a number one. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. it did great. No, this was this was a big, big deal. Do you think I'm disco? Am I superficial looking? It's my only goal. Oh, hard hitting. Uh, do you think I'm disco? Maybe it's not too late to get into rock and roll. Yeah. Ooh. He, that was a being showy has always been a dog whistle. Yeah, like uh, gay people or black people. People who, ca- guys who care about looking good. Yeah, oh, they must be a homo. Steve Dahl later famously said of the demolition night, uh, Disco was on its way out, but he thinks that the publicity of the stunt sped up its demise. Uh, Steve also produced some other parodies. Uh, oh, boy. My Sharona with uh, Ayatollah, back for the uh, Iran hostage. Uh, and uh, made fun of the John Wayne Gacy murders with Another Kid in the Crawl. Uh, he ended up taking it off the air after some of the parents of those dead kids <laughs> called the radio station to complain. He's still active today and runs the Steve Dahl Podcasting Network. Uh, that's kind of the garbage world of, like, parody DJs that Weird Al managed to separate himself from. You know, he's my Sharona, my Bologna, voila, <laughs> stars born. Yeah, yeah you do it uh, about food. The others are left. Yeah, you're getting it all wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should have done it about food. Get back to your podcast, Steve Dahl. Mm. I found the be- I, I, I I did my research. I found the best part of the Steve Dahl Wikipedia page. I'm going to read it here. Dahl decided to get a vasectomy in March 1989, which was performed live on the air at a urologist's office in Indiana. Across the border for cheaper rates. (laughs) (laughs) According to Arbitron ratings for that survey period, Dahl and Meyer's ratings jumped from a tie for seventh place in afternoons to a tie for third place. All right. A lot of ratings ties in the (laughs) Chicago market. Uh, I got another fun fact. The chorus melody of this song was plagiarized from a Brazilian Tropicalia song by Jorge Ben called Taj Mahal, and they had to pay him money for it. It's also got a string arrangement from a Bobby Womack song that he lifted. Hey. There you go. Didn't even write it. Hey, you forgot to read this. HTTPS colon slash slash www.youtube.com backslash watch question mark V equals V three X F. K-W-H dash It's case sensitive. Great so you bit. Have to read that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, some uppercase and lowercase there. This is a deeply personal song for all of us. It's called number three. Number three! All right. No surprises here. Nope. Mick Jagger had moved to New York by this time, and he was hanging out at Studio 54. This song, Miss You by the Rolling Stones, 1978. A stable on classic rock radio. Yeah. Such a great mm-hmm. under, under-the-radar disco song. But this was uh, directly influenced by all, the, uh, by all the disco he was hearing at Studio 54. In fact, Keith said that he didn't think much of the disco song at the time. We just wanted to put our oar into Mick, in on Mick, wanting to do some disco shit. Keep that man happy. But as we got into it, we realized maybe we've got a quintessential disco thing right here. And he was right. This is another one of these songs that hit number one. Jagger had a quote that speaks to JD's uh, 
JD's point. Uh, the song wasn't disco disco. Disco records didn't have guitars much, and they all had shimmering and ooey ooey girls. <laughs> it was influenced by that, but not exactly it. And then it goes on to sing ooh 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 ooh. But that's him. Yeah. Yeah, it's not an ooey ooey. It's ooh. I mean, it's just another really really good disco song by a bunch of cocky pedophile geniuses. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm starting to get more of a feel for the genre because after the last few songs, those are, those are where these experiments really start to work. And I think the key to a successful disco dip is that disco sounds best when it's kind of sleazy. And if you have a sleazy side and you let the disco sound pull that out of you, you're probably going to have a pretty good song as a result. And that's why Paul McCartney wasn't that comfortable with it. And that's why Pete Townsend and Rod Stewart and Mick Jagger can all pull it off. Because they're gross. Yep. I don't know. He had a penchant for one-legged bitches. This is from the Some Girls album, which is my second favorite Stones album next to Sticky Fingers. And what impresses me is they have this amazing disco song on here, but the Stones could fucking do anything. They started as a blues band. uh, But they also wrote what I think is one of the best country albums of all time, Sticky Fingers. And uh, this album, Some Girls, includes The Girl with the Faraway Eyes, which I think is one of the best country songs. I just, it amazes me, uh, their, uh, diverse, diverse, di- diversity. Diverse, diversity. Diversity and diverse is idness. I thought you didn't like portmanteaus. It wasn't on purpose. And some of them work. <laughs> some of them are lazy. I also Like find- Mandels. Oh. That's a lazy portmanteau. Proposmanteau? Was that a portmanteau on purpose? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I find it interesting that so basically by, at this point that this came out, the Clash had basically called the Stones out for being out of touch at, Paint by number rock stars uh, coming off shit like black and blue. And the Stones knew they were getting shit on by the punks. Uh, they also listened to them, but they knew they weren't as good as them. So they get influenced and motivated to make Some Girls, which is really a powerhouse album. And two years later is when the Clash expand their sound to make something like Magnific- Magnificent Seven. I love rock and roll. <laughs> I love shit like that. Little, By the way, friend, little friendly competition. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. By the way, the yeah. Stones have always seemed old, but Mick Jagger was 35 when he made this. That's old. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's not that old. They seemed like they were in their 50s for forever. Well, when Steel Wheels came out, which was... This was their 89. comeback. 89. In 89, they were calling it the Steel Wheelchairs Tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were, what, in their 40s? Yeah. Probably 50s. If you were 35, Maybe. when was this? 78. 78. Yeah, yeah. 79. 78 or 79. 78. The copycats come and go, but this song proves they're here to say. It's called number two. Number two! Oh, damn, I love the kinks. And this was this was, this? was a new one for me. I hope this is the kinks. Yeah. Um... I never really paid attention to this song before. I mean, I had it on uh, Come Dancing or in like, some Greatest Hits comps. But apparently, Ray Davies wrote this. This is called uh, I Wish I Could Fly Like Superman from 1979. Uh, Ray Davies wrote this in response to Clive Davis, the head of uh, Arista Records and responsible for more kick-ass artists than you could count in a Barry few Manilow. shitty ones. Clive Davis asked Ray to write a song for uh, for the clubs. I almost said the Cubs. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I'm in your head now, Dave. Uh, no, I just, uh, I'm squinting. My, my, my... 
Uh, Ray reportedly hated disco, but crapped out this little gem just for the hell of it. It's um, a good song. Thanks, thanks, Hunter. You've been a little, little slow on the draw today. Uh, sorry, I, I'm just giving you time because I never know when somebody else is going to jump in. This is a yeah. good call. This is a good yeah, call. It's a good song. Good song. Good deep dive mm-hmm. into the disco here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is on their low budget album. The album's called Low Budget. Uh, it came out in '79, and everything else on the album sounds like you know just fine and kinksy. You know, there's a few songs before this one is called Catch Me I'm Falling. So I would bet they needed a song called I Wish I Could Fly Like Superman to further tell the story of the falling person. They were big into concept albums in the 70s. The song was actually inspired by the 1978 movie Superman. Oh, never heard of it. Uh, Apparently Ray was a big fan of the comic books and he went to see the movie and he got inspired when he saw Chris Reeve fly or walk or ride a horse or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, this is a cool disco song. You know what? And, And it sort of got me thinking like... A night full of these disco dips would be a really fun dance night. Just like these disco songs that are sort of elevated somehow by the artistic integrity of the people doing them. They feel a little different. You know what? You're right. It yeah. would be a fun night. It'd be a really disco fun. doesn't suck. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I, you know, you leave out the... It's a great song. So maybe leave out the Beach Boys one. Yeah, you leave out the, you know, the Donna Summer hits and everything. You do just songs like this by unlikely bands. I think it'd be a really fun dance night. I would I would dance. Yeah. JD, you still have to do your genre, your discount genre. genre. I know, I need help from people who know more because I really want to dig deep. All you have to do is go find those like little known disco. I, I, I went that route. I'm going to ask my friends at KFAI. Like Areola Records. Just yeah. check it out. Yeah. I, I look for stuff like that. It's hard to find stuff. But my guys at KFAI, they'll help me out. Once I'll email them when I'm ready. Now I'll wait a few months because we've just done a disco one, but discount right. is in the pipeline mm. someday. Well, this one's a goddamn badass jam. To me, this absolutely transcends disco, as most of the songs on this list do. Even though it has the bass and the beat, it's it's like an effortless, effortless version of Cameo's "Word Up." It also gives a nod to Saturday Night Fever, as it states that he is a wreck but staying alive. Just goes to show you how influential that soundtrack really was to most of the songs on this list. I I, I think this song works again because. Ray Davies has a secret sleazy side that's itching to get out. And it's more interesting to hear this kind of thing coming from the Kinks. Like, they don't normally get to work a groove like this because they didn't start out with nearly as much R&B in their sound as the Stones or the Who, for example. Yeah, and the Kinks need more respect, especially their mid-70s to 80s stuff. Yeah. They they were one of those bands I thought, oh, okay, here's a British Invasion, like, 60s band with it's like, Lola, you really got me. And not much else. Bullshit. Super prolific. Most of their albums came after that period and are all very eclectic and awesome. And what strikes me about this song is how ahead of a time it sounds. Even though it's rooted in disco, this could easily be like a late 80s pop song. It's it's surprising that the Kinks weren't a bigger band because they just have so much incredible music out there. Ray Davies just never got that passport, did he? Yeah, they yeah. just they couldn't, they couldn't catch a break. Yeah. yeah, they were just too damn British, which is something I was considering for my next genre, so I might do that now. Too damn British? Too damn British? So what is it? Did people too British to like make a to huge trans- enough impact in the world? To cross yeah, over yeah, to they, American great, audience? Great British bands that are super catchy and melodic and like just brilliant music, but they didn't catch on in America because something about them was too British. I like that. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, some Billy Bragg songs that would fit in there really well. We'll see. It's probably going to be a two-parter. 
No, no more two-parters. No more two-parters. No, it's going to have to be. No, no more two-parters. Use your fucking editorial thing. We're top 10, not top 20. Broken it into be editorial. That's going to have one. to be by decade. God damn it. <laughs> Anytime I think I'm no good at writing songs, I remember this song. It's a very good song. It's called Number One. Number One! Yeah. <laughs> Thank God this song came. Yeah. There's real, there's real cloud in this room. Yeah. Oh my. What's it going to be? Of course, this is my number one. Kiss did a disco song. Y'all know it. Shit, you probably all know the story. The story was that Gene Simmons was dating Donna Summer and she bet him he couldn't write a disco song. He set out to prove her wrong. The only problem? The story is completely false. Probably is something I heard in my youth that I need to stop repeating. Here's the real story. Who fills this guy's head with these facts? I mishear a lot of things. You gotta stop <laughs> listening can, to people. Everyone's confuse, lying to you, Dave. You confuse names in your head, too. A lot. Whenever you, whenever Shut you up, walk, Dave. Whenever you walk around, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Whenever you walk around, Dave, he's always yelling about how he's doing research. But then he always has everything wrong. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. He's constantly doing research. He's constantly, constantly being surprised and telling you he's doing research. He mixed up Mark David Chapman and Mike Chapman at like two or three points in this outline. He did so much research, too. Oh, my God. Mark David Chapman shot Lennon and uh, liked Salinger. That is correct. Got it. Uh, all right. The real story is Paul wanted to write a disco song. And this was the first time that Kiss collaborated with the amazing songwriter Desmond Child. And it certainly wouldn't be the last. They also brought in Vinnie Poncia, who was a songwriter and a producer. He produced Peter Chris's solo album, which is funny, because he didn't want Peter to play drums on this, stating that he was unfit. Uh, oh, well, so he after, produced the guy's album, so he wouldn't know. Yeah. So I, the, I think he may have produced both of Peter Chris's yeah. solo albums. It's like, there weren't, it wasn't just one. Well, Peter's in the uh, video, but uh, on the recording, you're hearing the old standboy Anton. Standboy by. Standby boy. Standboy. The old standboy Anton Fig. Huge backlash from Kiss fans. Same story. They were accused of selling out to disco. I love the idea that Kiss fans would be upset about Kiss selling out. <laughs> yeah. These guys are doing it for the money. Yeah, I mean... You, like, it some, used to be about the music yeah, someone and the costumes. you got to dump all your scruples anyway to become a Kiss fan. So, like, how can a song like this kiss... How can it piss them off? It rocks harder than the less candy-ass Beth. I heard yeah. less candy-ass than Beth, I should say. Another, uh, another uh, Peter Chris song. Yeah. Out! Out! They brought in Eric Carr, and uh, he steered it away from uh, the disco feel, made it more rocking. I, I love that Kiss and the Grateful Dead have a similar story when it comes to <laughs> disco. I love rock and roll. I'm talking about it. Uh, disco, this disco is fun. I don't know how you get white people. Oh, it sucked, Dave. Um, if you if you hate when your favorite band goes disco, you just hate fun, and they're an awful person. I can see them hating when they did a concept album, because because concepts are yeah, always that's a little fun. tough to wrap your head around. Yeah, but uh, but disco song, come on, Dave. No, hey, it's fun. All right, it's a great I wanna, song. I want to get to the bottom of this whole Lighten thing. Lighten up. Here. I fucking love disco. I've been obsessed with it for years. My disco selection is ample. Well, you've been obsessed with the Village People for years. Yeah, it was one of my first favorites. Yeah. And I listened to them way after it was cool. Like, you know, today. 
Uh, where were we? I just, just imagine Dave rolling around town with the disco sucks bumper sticker, sticker listening to the village people. Next to my, next <laughs> so to my, confusing. Yeah. Well, I like the idea. I was being ironic to the people that thought disco sucks. He's uh, kind of, it kind of reminds me of an anti-gay Idaho senator, you know? <laughs> who's, secret, who's secretly really gay. Yeah. <laughs> the Larry Craig of this podcast. Yeah. Why does Dave keep tapping my foot every time I poop next to him? <laughs> Fun fact about this video. To a disco beat. <laughs> Four on the floor, buddy. Uh, fun fact about this video, if you watch the Kiss Shreds video, this is a video they take it from, and if you haven't seen it, it's my absolute favorite. You guys know the Shreds videos, right? Oh, yeah. Best yeah, thing yeah. on the internet. Uh, they play a song called, I Will Never Go to School. It's fantastic. <laughs> I especially like the line, Bruce likes a trophy. <laughs> Pure genius. And Kiss was one of those early bands I got into as a kid. I uh, included a photo in your notes. Uh, it's me opening a birthday present. It was Return of the Jedi ATST Walker. I'm wearing a Superman shirt behind me on the walls. An Afghan my mom or my grandma made me that had my name in it. And a big old oh, I poster. I see it just says yo. Big, that's the Y-O in Lions. And a big old poster of Kiss. And you look like four. You're like four and you're a big Kiss fan. Well, I was a little kid. I was, I was slight. Uh, but... You know, yeah, well, when did Jedi come out? 83? 83. So I would have been seven. Okay. That was my, that would have been my seventh birthday, maybe. Alright. Um, Just starting to get into the village people. Yeah. No, I was way into the village people. I was... Uh. Like, now, I know I was probably only attracted to them at the time because of the pageantry, but as I got older, I really started to enjoy them, and uh, although never took them seriously until I saw them live with Ted Nugent and Skid Row back in the 90s. One hell of a badass concert. It was the first of their farewell tours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw them at, uh, in their first, when they put the makeup back on yeah. with everybody at Tiger Stadium when they did their first one. That was fun to see a concert in Tiger Stadium. Do they still have the arena football team in L.A.? In, like, Long Beach or the something? The L.A. Kiss? Yeah. yeah. They, had a, they had a show a couple mm -hmm. years ago, a reality show, but I don't know if they survived. Hey, good job, Dave. Hey, thanks. If anything, this list has taught me that it's really hard for successful geniuses to properly sell out. So rest assured, fellas, when I go out, when I sell out and I join the next Sklar Brothers podcast, <laughs> it will sound a hell of a lot like Beyond Yacht Rock. You change your name to J.D. Sklar? Yeah, is, it like, is it like a Ramones thing where everybody joins and they have to change their name to the Yeah, I'm working, on, I'm working on a second voice of my own that is slightly different than the voice I usually use. So it'd be okay. like, hey, how's it going? I'm J.D. Sklar. And I'm... <laughs> And I'm Randy Sklar. Oh, this is, this is really scar. Listen, JD's leaving. You gotta work on it a little. All us Michigan know. State guys to go hang out with a couple more Wolverines. Yeah, yeah. Wolverines. We were smart. Um, what didn't make the list? Oh, I got one. Got a boogie by Weird Al. Yeah. It's one of my favorite originals of his. It's a ridiculously fast disco song that is. It's revealed to be about a booger on his finger. Oh, so, spoiler alert. And he can't shake it yeah. off. It also includes a lyric, I was burning up the floor like a disco maniac. So yeah, sure it's satire, but it's still a dip. Uh, uh, criminal, that's something from Pink Floyd's The Wall didn't make the list. They're too slow. Fam famously, Another Brick in the Wall Part 2, or maybe Run Like Hell. Yeah, they write that hi-hat in there. Yeah, that bound a wank, bound a wank, bound a wank. But what but song are you doing? Uh, uh, He's doing a really up-tempo version of. Uh, but it's like we don't need no. You know how it goes. 
No, I don't. Keep doing it. Well, how's the bass? Is, is that octave bass going on in there? Yeah. You know, you know how it goes. You know the song. Um, I can't believe that nobody insisted that the Holly song I found way too late in the game didn't should should have made this list and pushed something else off. So I want all of you to go find Wiggle That What's It on YouTube and see if you think Steven Stills or Graham Nash had the worst. Here's dip. why. Here's why I didn't make it. Because you are, because you you showed us how dismissive you are of any suggestions that we made when Dave yeah. made a suggestion for you, and then promptly announced, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to do two shows of that." <laughs> no, I doubt that'll be it. But uh, mine's a two-parter. <laughs> also, <laughs> that's great. Uh, but also, uh, I did look at that long and hard. Uh, that came out in '67, and I was really trying to '67, '76. Uh, but I was very uh, close enough. Maybe, maybe two I'm just dyslexic. Um, Michael Chapman, Mike, Mark, David. Don't. Uh, uh, but the thing was, I wanted to showcase songs that happened after the Saturday Night Seavers. Saturday Night uh, Seavers. Okay, okay, that makes the, sense. The Alan Thick vehicle came uh, out. Uh, next week we're good. It's our annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, rockout. Uh, we did it last time. We just go through the nominees. Well, after this time, it'll be our annual. Yeah. 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 Second annual. <laughs> Normally, we do Yacht Rock on the 10s, but because of the way the episode numbers fall, we want to get it in before the voting period ends. To influence all you music journalists like David Frick's vote. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, you know, we're just going to go down each nominee and, you know, say whether or not, just some little chit-chat, whether or not we think... we. They should make it in. And, and then, pick, we'll pick one each. And then favorites. we each feature one of our favorites that we go into depth on and make a real argument. Yeah, the it. one that we that we think should. Yeah, Steve's already yeah. written seven pages on Judas Priest. <laughs> oh, really? Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, you should see the document. It's... Edit it. Edit it. It's going to be a two-parter. <laughs> Thanks to Ben Mullins for sending in those awesome bumpers. He's not really on the social media. But he would like to plug his mad skills as a programmer who does Drupal. I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Many other I kinds think it of is, programs. It is. I think it's or Drew Paul. No, <laughs> is that Drew Paul? <laughs> Drew Paul's drag race. <laughs> it's Drupal. Drew Paul's programming race. So if you're hiring, check out. I made this tiny URL for him to get to his LinkedIn. <laughs> Tinyurl.com backslash bumper Ben. Hire him. He needs money to buy things for his new baby. Oh, they're so expensive. And don't mm-hmm. don't go to the other Bumper Ben site. Mm-hmm. Go no. Yeah, URL that's you're not going to like that one. <laughs> also, check out Ben's two albums of electronic music on the Ghostly International label under the name Midwest Product. And check out uh, old Hollywood Steve Huey. He's going to be on the Radio 8 Ball podcast here on uh, yes, Fairlight. Yes, uh, it was released today as of this, uh, this, as, of this re- as of this morning when we recorded this episode. So it's out there. When's yours coming out? Is it out already? Uh, it's probably a ways down the road. Okay. Um, they were, you know, they they wanted to, to season the show a little bit before it came on. They wanted to iron out the kinks. Very good. <laughs> kind of uh, like we did today with number two. Oh, big shout out to Patricia Whitaker. Yeah. She's, she's yeah. Been, she's really been working hard on improving our social media presence and it's all her ideas. She came to us, volunteered. Uh, she's doing a great job. So follow her on Twitter at York Whitaker. She's also really, really into the yacht rock genre mm-hmm. and is a great follow. Yeah, I could probably learn a thing or two about yacht rock from her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, 
Do it. Yeah. All you right. You can say catch it. Dave's band, the Shit. Very Scary Boys, playing a Misfits tribute at a house party in Los Feliz this weekend. <laughs> He's forty-one. Uh, the thing is, I think it's. I think this episode. I don't know when this episode drops, and I didn't look it up, but I think I'm gonna play the show before the episode drops. So. Oh well, uh, then then oh. well then just go over to Dave's house. I'll play you a little set. Yeah. yeah. He's but 41. the Very Scary Boys are a, a combination of uh, local LA bands, Karate the Band, and the Very Nice Boys. And they get together, they're the very scary boys, and they play Halloween shows. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, Patreon nicknames for our Patreon patrons. Okay, here they come. Uh, we got Jordan Hard 2 Killian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got uh, Jason Go Go Bootlegger Kennedy. We got Michael Lonely Staghart. We got Sale Take the Cannoli Cataldo. <laughs> uh, we got, and we got uh, Dan Rough Toilet Paper Tier- Tierney. 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 Huh? What? Rough Toilet Paper. I don't know. Hey, RTP. <laughs> what? These all have very smart hidden jokes, and I just can't find them. But they're there. I know they're there. No, I just I just went to the bathroom. It's a uh, oh, oh, you just okay. <laughs> yeah, he did. The, he wrote these on the toilet. It's biographical. Uh, what, the first one is a uh, is a Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal, Seagal one. movie. Uh, Kennedy was bootleggers. the bootleggers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hart. I looked it up. I was gonna call him the uh, missing E. But uh, <laughs> but I looked up what heart is because I want to know why people spell it that way. Apparently, it's a stag. Okay. Yeah, it's an old-timey word for it. Um, and uh, that's the uh, next one is a Godfather reference. Of course, of course. And I, I had just gone to the bathroom. Okay, perfect. And uh, we got to get you some two-ply. <laughs> uh, it's, it's because Dan Tierney doesn't take no shit. Find this week's Disco Dips playlist by following J.D. Riznar on Spotify. Go to YachtRock.com. It's a useful experience. we got some buttons. we got some T-shirts. Uh, we'll have tote bags up very soon. Pass them out to the guys. They're nice tote bags. They're record bags. Record bags. You can tote records. We're not NPR, J.D. You, you yeah. Stick to the brand. Yeah, okay. you, could, you, could, you could tote records. You could record totes. It's... You could put some, put some of your <laughs> sailing... Related stuff inside the bag. Nothing too big, though. <laughs> no boats. Uh, go to yachternyacht.com. Take a look at our Yachtsky scale. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so we pick up heat and we become the number one music podcast. Themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to producer Matt Brousseau and the entire Feral Audio family. Check out all their podcasts at feralaudio.com. It's a website. Go there. And what's uh? How do you join our Slack channel? Oh, anybody. Well, you can either donate at a certain level on Patreon, or if you've ever made a bumper for us, or written an article for the Captain's Blog, just go ahead and email us and say you want in on the Slack channel. I know who you are. Yeah, well, we know how to get you in. Yeah. Feral Audio.